Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Diz Unplugged. As I am sure you are all aware, we suffered a terrible loss on April 28th when Bob Varley, our good friend and team member, passed away after suffering a massive heart attack. Uh, we were planning to resume our normal show schedule this week, but I have been battling the flu and decided that it was probably not a good idea to expose the rest of the team to getting sick right now. So uh, as it turns out, a few days before Bob passed away, we had recorded our Disneyland show after Walter and I had spent 12 days out in Anaheim. So I have decided to release that show this week. This is actually part one of our Disneyland report. Uh, part two will be recorded once we get back to our regular show schedule. Um, I should also mention that this show was intended to go up prior to the conclusion of the California Food and Wine Festival on May 5th, but for obvious reasons that wasn't possible. Uh, now next Tuesday we will be doing a tribute show for Bob. And uh, the following Tuesday, May 27th, we will be resuming our normal show schedule. And on behalf of Bob's family and on behalf of our entire team here, I want to really say a very heartfelt thank you to all of you for your patience and your support these last few weeks. Uh, I'm not being facetious when I say that it really made a difference. The kind of outpouring of love and support. And it was just, it, it was beyond, it's beyond words to describe how much that meant to all of us. So I want to, I want I really just wanted to thank everyone for that on behalf of the entire team. So with that, we will, uh, here is our, here is our Disneyland show. Thanks for listening, folks. Hello and welcome to the Diz Unplugged. We have a special episode for you this week on Disneyland. After Walter and I got back from a marathon, 11-day, most expensive working vacation ever. John is still uh, sweating from the, uh, from the amount of money that was spent out in Disneyland this week. So uh, we are joined by the usual team, Bob, Julie, Corey, Kevin, John, Will is in the peanut gallery, and Walter has joined us. This is Walter's first time actually at the table. Walter's first time on the podcast was the last trip uh, we took out to Disneyland, which was November of 2006. For the video trivia challenge. When we were doing the video Correct. trivia challenge. That was a fun trip. And we, were, uh, we did a, a, an episode from the... Uh, from Hotel Del Coronado. The Hotel Del Coronado. We got that. Walter uh, was my bag boy. He carried my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Walter did a lot more this trip. I'll tell you, Walter was uh, Walter was Johnny on the spot. Well, he did a lot on that trip, but he, he was did. he was mostly like helping us move stuff around. He was actually like involved in getting content and um, took a lot of pictures. Walter took over uh, about a thousand pictures uh, while we were out there, and uh, that's all going to be put up in a gallery. We're going to have a gallery going up with this of pictures and video and um, some other stuff that we uh, that we have. 
Um, we're going to start out with Max apparently making his presence known. Um, basically, what I want to do is just kind of discuss, for those of you who are not familiar at all with Disneyland, uh, probably one of the biggest questions or most frequent questions we get asked or I get asked is, I've already done Disney World. Why should I bother doing Disneyland? And you guys have heard me say it on multiple occasions that they're just very different destinations. They're not, uh, they have some similarities, no doubt. I mean, obviously, our Magic Kingdom is based heavily on the Magic Kingdom, the original Magic Kingdom in Disneyland. But these are just two separate experiences. Um, the biggest difference between the two is that where at Walt Disney World, you could easily spend seven or eight, nine, ten days and still not see everything. Absolutely. That's not the case at Disneyland. If you're there three or four days of hitting the parks hard, you're going to pretty much cover the whole thing. The uh, benefit that Disneyland has that we don't have here is that Southern California and everything that goes along with Southern California, whether we're talking Hollywood, Laguna Beach, Huntington Beach, Catalina Island, Newport Beach, San Diego... All that stuff is pretty much a sixty to ninety minute within a sixty to ninety minute drive, and it's an experience that can't be recreated here. You can't create a theme park to capture Hollywood. You can't create a theme park, no matter how hard Disney tries. You can't create a theme park that's going to capture San Diego, especially San Diego. Quite possibly, I don't even think it's arguable anymore that San Diego is the most beautiful city in the United States, yeah, and certainly the cleanest. And uh, we had to spend a little time down there. Oh, we didn't go into San Diego proper. We did go to the Wild Animal Park, which is part of uh, the San Diego Zoo. We're going to talk about that a little later. But uh, one of the other questions we get asked a lot is about transportation. People are afraid of, uh, of driving in California. And I am absolutely one of those people. I hate driving those freeways. And so what we did this trip was we actually took the, uh, when we got into LAX, we took the shuttle from uh, the airport to the resort. And this is now something I should mention here. There are about 9 million different shuttles from the crappy, chumpy shuttle buses that I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't get in if they were paying me to what we actually took, which was a nice big motor coach. Yeah. Um, the official shuttle service for Disneyland is operated by the, uh, the Gray Line company. And this is called the Disneyland Express. And if you're not watching, there are some very unscrupulous operators that put signs on their buses or on their vans or in their window saying Disneyland Express. Really? It was and very confusing. It, it was look. extremely confusing. We, stopped, we must have stopped three or four different... We tried to get on like three or four different buses. And when they saw we had a prepaid voucher, oh no, you've got to wait for the bus. Oh, that's if horrible. They would have put us on and took our money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They would have absolutely taken hmm. taken our money. Surprised Disney lets them get away with it. Well, it's not, I, you know, I, I don't yeah. know how much control Disney has over it. So people have to really be careful. When yeah, the Disneyland Express bus is impossible to miss. It is a huge bus. Um, and, of course, if you were watching the news a few weeks ago, one of those buses caught fire oh. on the way from the airport to the resort. And while no one was hurt, all their luggage went up in flames. Ouch. And uh, so that was in the back of my mind. 
Um, it's a now considering how far the airport is from Disney Disneyland, it's about an hour. I'm surprised with how reasonably priced these transfers are. Twenty dollars per adult one way, seventeen dollars per child one way, or thirty dollars per adult round trip, twenty uh, twenty two dollars per child round trip. That's good. That's a really, really reasonable, and it's a very comfortable bus. Considering it didn't seem to take an hour. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably it, it felt more like it was forty minutes. Yeah, Considering the traffic and everything, that's well worth the, yeah. the money. Absolutely, and I'd be surprised if Dizzy doesn't bring Magical Express out there to overcome this issue. Well, with the people trying to take their, I don't know. It's been going on for years now, probably. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, Magical Express is working very well for them out yeah. here. It's quite possible they might do something like that out there. Uh, again. The resort there is so different. The logistics of running the resort there are so different than it is here yeah. that it's very difficult to say what uh, what they can get away with, what they can't. Um, now, the Gray Line website says that this uh, shuttle service is offered uh, every hour from 6.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. and every 30 minutes from 10.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. And then it goes back to hourly from 7.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. Uh, they're lying. We waited uh, at 11 o'clock. We waited a good solid hour and a half for that bus to come. That was the downside. Uh, but like I said, once we were on, it was a quick trip, very comfortable trip. You know, it was a nice big bus. It was a nice big bus. Takes you right to uh, the Disneyland Hotel. And then once you get to the Disneyland Hotel, they start asking everybody where are you staying. And they'll, they'll take you there in order. So if you're staying at one of the other Disney resorts, they'll bring you there, and then they go to some of the other uh, area uh, resorts. Now, again, for people familiar with Walt Disney World and not familiar with Disneyland, you have to think in a much smaller scale. When we talk about the Disneyland Resort, what that consists of are three hotels, which are the Paradise Pier, which is the lower end of the three, the Disneyland Hotel, which is in the middle, and the Grand Californian, which is their flagship. And in between these hotels and the theme parks is their downtown Disney district, which you pretty much have to walk through in order to get to either of the two parks, no matter where you're staying. Whether you're staying on-site or off-site, pretty much you've got to go through downtown Disney to get into the theme parks, and that's intentional. And their downtown Disney, very, very uh, much smaller than ours here, but a lot of different stuff. There's a lot of different stuff in their downtown Disney that we don't have here. They have the Build-A-Bear. Uh, they have... Uh, Vault 28. Vault 28. Ralph Brennan's Jazz Kitchen. Oh, I love that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Oyster, no. oyster Shooters. Well, oh, my God. I got to tell you, one of the worst meals and some of the worst service I've ever experienced. Really? We caught him on a bad night. Wow. Well, I don't know. The last time I was there, it wasn't that good either. We visited twice on our trip in 06, and we had a great time, yeah. the three of us. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, was, well, we had the Oyster Shooters, which... We're really good. Now, it was just what we noticed out there was either the service was fantastic or it was awful. Hmm. There was no gray area. Our waiter was MIA. We didn't know where he was. He yeah. just would disappear for long periods of time. He must have been a smoker. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think he was a slacker um, was the impression I got. But Did, Was that the bad? The food was bad, too? The food was terrible. Yeah. It was really poorly prepared. It was just terrible. It was a terrible night. And ridiculously overpriced, hmm. which, well, I'm going to get to, I'm going to get to uh, dining in a second, but um, 
in talking about transportation, what we did was, and, I, and this is really what I recommend, we took the express shuttle from the airport to the hotel, and then once you're on site, if you want a car, if you want to get a car for a day or the week, there's an Alamo rental car right across from the Disneyland Hotel. You can walk to it. Well, you can pretty much walk to anything. Yeah. Um, even if you're staying off-site, walking over to downtown Disney, walking over to the parks is not that long a walk. It really isn't. It sounds like it was such a, a much better experience for you. Like, I remember when we went on the trip in November, we had all that luggage to deal with and mm-hmm. try to stuff it in the car and then get over to the thing. And we ended up having to rent a bigger car than we probably really needed because we had to deal with the luggage. Yeah. Yeah. So if we don't have to deal with the luggage, you can get a, a smaller car. Smaller car and for less days. You don't yeah. need it for the entire length of stay, which is what we did. And you don't have to pay for the parking for the whole time. Exactly. Exactly. So we just walked over to Alamo Rent-A-Car. Actually, the concierge set it up for us at the Grand. And we, we walked over to Alamo, and boom, a car was ready for us. Now, the thing you need to keep in mind with any car rental, and this is part of our... Uh, uh, perils of online travel article that we have on our homepage right now is one of the things these guys love to do is sell you the prepaid gas. What you need to keep in mind is that they're going to tell you that it's at the prevailing rate, which it is. I think which was about three seventy a gallon when we were out there, and but they are basing it on a full tank. If you bring the car back half empty or half full, yeah, you are now paying double for your gas. Right. So. Really avoid the prepaid gas. Um, and as far as insurance goes, the insurance the, the insurance that I usually take will be the collision. I don't take the personal liability. Even though my car insurance covers me, the fact of the matter is if something happens, I still have to pay that $2,000 deductible that I have on my car insurance policy. This way, for $9 a day, you only got the car for a couple of days. Yeah. If you total the car, you can pretty much tow it back to them and walk away. And you're not going to have to pay your deductible. You're not going to have to pay. For me, it's worth it, especially when I'm driving someplace. I'm not comfortable. Right. And the way those people drive in California, they're insane. Yeah. Well, remember, we looked at the um, the car. But then when we got done at the end of the day, it looked like someone had driven it underneath something. One of the whole sides was scratched up. Yeah. We didn't notice when we took the car. If we didn't have insurance, they probably would have charged us for that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was hard to see when you walk around. You know, you're looking for dings and stuff, yeah. but one side was totally scratched up. I, like they ran Some, into a, a pole or something. Yeah. Sometimes if you get, check in at night and grab the car at night, right. I mean, I, I do my walk around and I make you sure I highlight everything. This, yeah. And you don't see it, and then it's all of a sudden, no. You're the last one to have it. You're right. Yeah, tag, it you're it. Right. So. For nine bucks, it's worth it. It is. It is. So the Alamo Rental Car Company right there on site. Excellent. Walk right to it. It was painless, it was reasonably priced, and they were very helpful. Yeah, so That sounds like the deal. Now, in terms of the on-site, I was talking about the on-site hotels, the three on-site hotels. Uh, really, you know, where I don't know how, many, how much in the way of benefits you really have staying on-site. The only real benefit that I saw was that uh, you get magic mornings on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday at the Magic Kingdom. And it's only for select attractions in Fantasyland and Tomorrowland. So that's really the only benefit, other than that they're very nice hotels, of staying on site. But I have to say, the price of on site hotels is exorbitant. Yeah. 
and th- those hotels are so booked to capacity that that's why this they is, can get they can get this that is rate. the problem is that well here's 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 what the, here's what happens and we notice this that starting Thursday night the hotel became stupid crowded hmm. I'm talking about you couldn't move in the lobby in the common areas there were people everywhere Thursday Friday Saturday started to chill out on Sunday Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday were great. You could have tossed a football through the lobby and not hit anybody. Hmm. What happens is you got the locals. Now, this is a factor that doesn't really play in as much here in Orlando as it does out in California. Uh, Disneyland is a very local park. People in the area grew up with it. As a matter of fact, you know, when we're here, um, and you see cast members at Walt Disney World, and you look at their name tags and where they're from, they're from all over, all over the country, all over the world. Look at the name tags and the cast members out there. They're all from California. Mm. You don't see a lot of people from Illinois and New York and Wisconsin. Everybody's from California. These guys grew up with it. And I think that's part of the difference that you find in the cast members out there. So, you know, what happens on on the weekends is, you you know, we were talking to a lot of people who are coming up from San Diego, who are coming up from, you know, different different, towns in the area to come spend the weekend at Disneyland. And so it just, the hotels get nuts. The occupancy rates are through yeah. the roof. They're always through the roof. So they're charging what they can get away with. I, yeah. don't, I don't blame them for it. I mean, if you have a 95% occupancy or better, you know, you're not going to give it away. No, of course not. Of course not. But moving on from that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the off-site hotels. Unlike Disney World, one of the reasons Disney World is so massive is because Walt couldn't stand the fact that... As soon as his park became popular, all these hotels and businesses cropped up right across the street. Yeah. And they're all still there. They're all still there. You've got all these hotels lining the surrounding area around Disneyland. And they range from flea bag looking holes in the wall to some very, very nice hotels. Prices are a lot more reasonable off site. You can walk into the parks if you don't feel like walking. You have the uh, Anaheim Resort Transit or the Art uh, Trolleys, which a lot of people complain about. Yeah. Uh, some hotels include art transportation with your room. If not, it's uh, $3 a day for a one-day pass, $6 for a two-day pass, or $8 for a three-day pass. And I'll tell you, I would, sec- I would suggest to anybody, have a few nights on site. Have that experience, especially the Disneyland Hotel which really now is my favorite. Yeah. Um, from now on, that's where I'm staying because it's what I like about the entire Disney experience out there is that it's authentic. It's the first one. It's the real one. It's the real Magic Kingdom. It's Walt's Magic Kingdom, although it's grown a lot. It's changed a lot. There's an authenticity about it. And staying at the Disneyland Hotel just kind of continues that, that, that sense of authenticity. Well, the rooms are themed very well. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They are. The rooms are very nice. Uh, the resort itself is very nice. Yeah. So a lot of cool stuff there. Um, so let me talk a little bit about dining. Because if there's one thing Walter and I did a lot of, it was we ate our way. Through Disney. Oh, my God. I've never eaten so much food in my life. Oh, God. Well, you know, the Food and Wine Festival was going yeah. on, which was the main reason we were out there was to kind of cover that Food and Wine Festival. We're going to get to that in a second. But... 
uh, as I said before, you know, there were these experiences were very, uh, very black and white, is what I noticed. Either it was really good or it was really bad. There wasn't a lot in the middle. Now I'm not going to be doing any long reviews here. I'm just going to be covering a few points. Dining reviews are are Kevin's Kevin's world, and I wouldn't even try to do them as well as he does. Uh, one of the things we noticed was a big challenge uh, in the first few days was breakfast. Um, a, if you're staying on site, where to have a decent one. Uh, Whitewater Snacks, which is the uh, fast food establishment inside the Grand. Not very good. Was not very good at all. Um, first of all, the amount of time it was taking for anything to come out of that kitchen was ridiculous. Like 30 to 45 minutes to get a breakfast sandwich. A breakfast sandwich that was horrible. No, I mean, it was supposed to come on a breakfast biscuit, but it really didn't taste much like a biscuit. No, it didn't. It didn't. It was like a candied, I don't know, it looked like it was shellacked with sugar. It was disgusting. And the bad part is what? (laughs) No, really. (laughs) When I tell you, it was bad. It was just bad. It really was I mean, and it was like a fried egg that was just, I don't know, it was awful. It was awful. Presentation was awful. The taste was awful. The service was awful. It was just awful. Now, the service, the lady waiting on us was very Oh, nice. she was And yeah. she would come and apologize. I'm sorry it's taken so long. I'm going to get it I'm taken sorry care we should act your bun. Yeah. <laughs> Were there a lot of people in line waiting for this stuff? No. There really wasn't. That particular no. morning, there was not, not the place busy. was not busy. Really? No. Um, so it was just. So obviously we were not going to do that again. Because that breakfast, now we're talking about two breakfast sandwiches, two orange, orange juices, juices. Uh, two cups of coffee, two bananas, $33. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. Okay. I was going to well, say no, like guess, 20 let me, let me t- No, let me tell you what. You can't get we breakfast We went to anywhere. Denny's. We went to Denny's off-site and had two breakfasts, two cups of coffee, and two orange juices, and it was $31. Ouch. Okay? Now... What we found, and this is what I would recommend to everyone, since in the morning, if you're going to the parks, you've got to walk through downtown Disney. Don't bother with Denny's. Don't bother with any of those places off-site. The La Brea Bakery in downtown Disney was superb. Breakfast sandwich, again, you know, breakfast sandwich, juice, coffee, banana, 30 bucks. But it was was delicious. Yeah, Denny's was a madhouse. Oh, Denny's was ridiculous. It was a cattle drive. Now, they were seeding people fast, but they were also slinging hash. Basically. Well, this is why also they can charge what they can charge. Right, exactly. You know, you're feeding that many people. What the heck, right? So La Brea Bakery, really and truly, don't even bother stopping anywhere else for yeah. breakfast. It's right it on a, the way. Right it was there. quick. It was easy. It was tasty. It was definitely the, the place to go. The only other place I would suggest for breakfast, if you want to do a character meal, was uh, the Storyteller's Cafe. Um, of all the dining experiences we had in the Grand Californian, the Storyteller's Cafe, that whatever was coming out of that kitchen was, was fantastic. The yeah. food was just terrific. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Food was terrific. So, But if you want a quick breakfast, La Brea Bakery. Now, I know you tried to get to one of our favorite places. I, I think it's worth mentioning. This is an off-site place. Mm-hmm. Kevin, you want to talk a little bit about Huff's? It's on this. I, did, I haven't been there in a long time. It's on the same street as the Crystal Cathedral. We couldn't find it. We, we tried. Before. Yeah, and that was great. Yeah, and it, it's reasonably priced. 
good food. Large we ate there a lot. Of food. Yeah, we did. Yeah, last trip we ate there a lot because we really li- liked it. So we were trying to find it this time and we just couldn't. Do if it. I was there, I could find it for you to tell you how to do it. It would have to. It would be like I think you go this way. I think you go yeah, that way. No, we, I hope it didn't try. close. I don't remember being too busy too. It doesn't. It seem. it had like a sort of English Tudor look yeah. to it, and it's Huff's restaurant. How far away was it? No, Bob's got his Los Angeles map out. <laughs> and it's not just a map. It's like detailed drawings of places. Of the entire city of Los Angeles. <laughs> and Bob's standing in it. <laughs> He's like Joey from Pops. Friends. No, the, the cathedral. The Crystal, Crystal cathedral. cathedral. There are people listening who say, I know exactly where that is. I'm if lucky. I was there, I could tell them. Well, anyway. we looked for it. We ended up at Denny's and had a bad experience. Um couple of the places that we ate at Downtown Disney, we had lunch at Naples. Those pizzas are f- fantastic. And again, we're talking about price points here. Figure $15 per adult for breakfast. Figure 25 to 35 per adult for lunch. Figure 50 to 75 per adult for dinner. If you want to eat any place other than fast food. No, Pete's saying it's expensive. It's expensive. Yeah, you know, Even you guys know how surprised. I spend money. I spend money like it's going out of style. For me to start complaining that things are expensive, it's expensive. So, Naples. We uh, the first very day, good pizza. Yeah, the first day we checked in. Right. The day we checked in, we went over there for for, oh, yeah. for lunch. For lunch, had a very nice lunch over there. One of my favorite places, though, and this is one of the more reasonably priced experiences, was a place called Tortilla Joe's at Downtown Disney. That, a, yeah, that was just opening the last time we were. It's out a there. it's a Mexican restaurant. It's actually run. I guess the Patina Group seems to run all the big big. Uh, Restaurants out there. Patina Group owns Naples. They own Catal, and they own uh, now Tortilla Joe's. And the Patina Group is the one who either has or will be taking over the location at Italy in Epcot. Oh, that's good. News. And this, so this group seems to produce some really, really good food. Now I'm thinking that this is an interim. Correct me if I'm wrong. Italy right now in Epcot isn't that interim until September. Well, I've heard different dates. But it's not the, the, but the right. Patina Group the, has not taken no. over yet. Right. It's not the yeah. final product. No. I think they just managed to say, okay, we'll run it for you for a while until you get the other thing in place. We will have to definitely re-review Italy when they take over because I'm telling you, Tortilla Joe's, they need to bring – I said this to the manager in the place. I said, you guys just took over the concession at the Italian Pavilion in Epcot. I beg you, talk to your owners. Take over the Mexican – Concession in there. Mexico and China. Don't forget China. <laughs> well, Don't forget China. Well, just because this was a Mexican <laughs> restaurant, I'm making the reference there. But you know, one of the things I notice out there, every restaurant, almost every restaurant you sit down in, it has to be some foo foo, ridiculous, gourmet, artsy meal. Crap. Yeah, I mean, artsy type. Of you food. know, sometimes you just want to sit down and eat. Yeah. You know, every once in a while, you know, the foo foo stuff is fine. But you know, I like to eat. I just like to eat. And this was really nice because, like I said, they put their own spin on Mexican food but didn't go over the top, and they kept their prices reasonable. Now, I had uh, – it's called the Yucatan Mango Chicken. That was huge. I was expecting because they say it's a half chicken. It was half a chicken. And I don't know. This chicken must have been like mutant because <laughs> this was a massive, massive plate. With a lot of food. Because they, they put the chicken on there, but they also had uh, the gr- this green rice, which I'd never had before, which I wanted to lick the plate 
eating that stuff. It was like sweet rice. It was like they put like some sugary thing on top of it. Sugar on rice. Okay, yeah. Yay. Um, More starch faster. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this was a massive meal. I, was, I could not finish it. It was seventeen ninety five. It was very reasonable. You had the combination plate. You can do any two items for sixteen ninety five, any three items for seventeen seventy five, any four items for eighteen fifty. You have crispy taco, which you got a soft vegetarian taco, enchilada, tamale, or chili, rileno, rienos, rienos, whatever. I had the enchilada and the tacos. And so, but the taco, it wasn't like a regular taco shell. It's like they made it and put the meat in it, and then they like uh, baked it or something. It was real different, but it wasn't like. It, it wasn't over the top. It was very tasty, but it was they put their own spin on it. And food was just delicious. Food was just delicious. Highly recommend Tortilla Joe's. Really nice place, and especially if you get in there around 5 o'clock, because we went there on a Friday. We went there the day before we left, and we went there a Friday about 5 o'clock, no wait at all. An hour later, there was a line out the door. Hmm. Oh, yeah. So I saw the back of the menu. They have Mojitos. Yes, they do have Mojitos. Um. <laughs> Going back just a second, the Crystal Cathedral is on Chapman Avenue. Okay. Huff's is right down the street from that Huff's Family Restaurant, H-U-F-F-S. Okay. We, we were what on F? Chapman. We just couldn't find it. We Chapman. looked. I don't know. We were. Well, we were, we, it just, it's very we were blinded by hunger. <laughs> we were starving. We were starving. And I was driving, I think. <laughs> no, I was driving. Oh, you were driving that You time. drove to San, San Diego. Diego. Yeah. They really were hungry. Um, <laughs> they can't remember. Well, no. See, when he gets hungry, he gets grumpy. So it's like, okay, and I know there's like a, you know, I could tell by his attitude that, okay, I've got about 20 minutes to feed him. I've got 10 minutes to feed him. Oh, dear God, there's going to be an explosion. <laughs> it's too late. Walter, you and I are in the same boat. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, hurry up and get him the food. And then I saw Denny's. I'm like, screw it. We're pulling in. That's like on the way to Anaheim Stadium type thing. I mentioned Jazz Kitchen was crap. Just from start to finish, it was crap. Napa Rose, I have been on the record now for a few years saying the Napa, that Napa Rose is, in fact, the best restaurant in Disney's repertoire. I am officially rescinding that in a big way. The service, depending on who you get, is outstanding. Their reputation has gone to their head, and their food is just it was mediocre and overpriced. It was overpriced. $42. $42 for a six and a half ounce filet mignon. Now, I don't care what kind of reduction sauce you put on it. I don't care what kind of pecans or whatever other crap you put on it. If you're going to charge $42 for a piece of filet mignon, it better be the most outstanding piece of beef you've ever been served. I'm sorry. And it was not even close. It was not even close. It was not a quality piece of beef. It was, a, I would consider it a second grade instead of a top grade piece of meat. And what really bothered me was that we were rushed through our meal. We, we sat down to eat at 8.30, and the restaurant closed at 10. And they wanted us out of there as close to 10 o'clock as possible. We had four courses that were served one right on top of the other. That's, one right on top of the other. And this in a restaurant that is supposedly known for its superb service and its, you know, whatever. It seemed like a slow night. They wanted us to get out so they could close up, and we had one course right after the other, right after the other. Well, let me kind of backtrack just a quick second. Um, 
we actually ate at Napa Rose twice this trip. Um, one of the big reasons I went out to California was uh, last month um, we hired a publicist to help us uh, get some more exposure for the site, get some more exposure for the show. And I wanted to meet him. He's out in California. His name is R.J. Garris. And R.J. is actually, he's actually a huge Disney fan, as is his wife. His wife is actually uh, on our boards. She won't tell me what her screen name is. Um, but her wife is on our, she lurks a lot, but she's a big, Dis, they're both big Disney fans. She plans all their trips. She knows everything going on on our boards. It's hilarious. Um, and we wanted to meet with them for the first time, so I thought Napa Rose. You're going to have a meet, dinner, dinner meeting like that? Have it at Napa Rose. And Walter and I afterwards had said that uh, the food wasn't quite up to par, but we weren't really paying attention to it. We were very busy talking to RJ and his wife, and you know the company alone just made the meal great. And so I said, you know, I, I really don't want to go back and rescind what I said all these times about Napa Rose being great, we have to go back and really experience it again. So we did. And this time I actually sat down with it as a review in mind, which I am going to write. I'll write one up. And don't waste your money. Huh. Don't waste your money. $275 for two people to have dinner and to be rushed through it and to be served mediocre food. And, yeah, the service is nice. Well, you know what? If you're rushing me through my meal, your service isn't nice. The guy we had um, when we had dinner with RJ, his name is Saucy. Michael. It's not his real name. His real name is Michael, but he goes by the name Saucy. This guy's terrific. That's he's, he's terrific. Quite animated, yes. Very, very, very animated. entertaining. Very entertaining man. And very professional and very. I mean, he's just. He's he's at the top. But he's, he's got great. He's got a great presence at the table, and he's 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 he was really really cool. We really liked him a lot. <sighs> But like I said, you know, the next night, and we asked for Saucy the next night, but he was in a private, he had a private party he was taking care of. So we got stuck with somebody else who was just like I said, they just wanted to get out. And this is supposed to be their signature restaurant. I'll tell you what, you want a signature experience, go to Steakhouse 55 over at the Disneyland Hotel. That was the big surprise of the trip for me. Wow. That you know what, if I want just a real, like I said, sometimes you just want to eat. Yep. You don't want to have to think about what the hell's in my food. And Steakhouse 55, the steak was superb. Everything was excellent. It was excellent from start to finish. They have these, uh, Walter, you have to hand me that other menu. Does Steakhouse 55 do a breakfast as well? Uh, I don't know. Totally I don't think so. No. I don't think so. I thought someone told me they had a really good breakfast, but I might be mistaken. They might, I think they might have been doing breakfast when they were Granville's. I did not look to see if they were doing breakfast now, though. But one of the things they do with these Yukon Gold... Oh, no, that wasn't them. The oh, the chef's potato stack al gratin. It was like a triple or quadruple layer of potatoes with cheese in the middle of each. Mm, there's oh. nothing ever wrong with putting oh. cheese in the But no, this was... Much better than mashed potatoes. I mean, this oh, yeah. was a signature dish. This was... Well, the, the chef, let's just mention oh, the chef. Chef uh, Jason. Chef Jason Martin, who is in charge of um, Steakhouse 55, Hook's Point, and Room Service. At the Disneyland Hotel, this guy's a genius. This guy's an absolute genius, and ha just it was a wonderful meal. Again, I'm going to put a uh, I'm going to put a whole review up on the site. But I would absolutely, absolutely recommend 
Skip Napa Rose, Run Don't Walk to Steakhouse 55. Okay, I've never seen Pete eat 18 ounces of meat before in my That's, life. Yeah, me neither. He was practically gnawing on the bone by the time. There were two. There were two. Was he, here's the thing is that <clears throat> Chef Jason came up with a rub for his steak. Now, normally I see a rub on a piece of steak and it's telling me the steak is no good and they're trying to cover up the flavor. Just the opposite here. He actually perfectly balanced the, the, the flavors in this rub to put on this steak and it accented the flavor of the steak without overpowering it and it was I, I swear there must have been crack sprinkled in this rub because an 18 ounce bone in ribeye now mind you I paid six, it was $42 for a 6.5 ounce crappy piece of filet mignon at Napa Rose for an 18 ounce bone in ribeye it was 35 wow okay it's like an upscale steakhouse was the 42 like a la carte and you had to order your sides or on top of that? No, it came with um, Well, no, everything is a la carte at Napa Rose. Oh, that's right, because we ordered a salad. I know that. And we ordered the appetizer. Yeah, everything's a la carte. But like potatoes and stuff Bacon, like that? Uh, no, this, it I, came with I ordered the um, Angus filet mignon topped with melted brie, roasted walnuts, sun-dried cherries, and a Cabernet Sauvignon cherry essence. I'm sorry, it was $39, not 42 was thirty nine dollars. It sounds gross. Well, I want cherries on my steak. Well, it actually sounds really good with the brie, but oh, I don't like it. Brie. Wasn't it's one of those things where you can either it can you know, be spectacular or it could be awful. You and know? it was it was mediocre, mm. but for thirty nine dollars, right. it should have gotten up and danced for me. Yeah. The last, the, I'm sorry. The last time I was there, we had an appetizer. It was thirty seven dollars. John and I split it. You figure th- for thirty seven dollars, we better split it. Right. It was two shrimp. One ounce of meat, and I forget what the third thing was. And you, you, you talk about the rock? Rib, yeah. Yes, you ribs. cooked ribs, and you cooked them on a hot rock. I don't and, like any place where I have to cook my own food. It's the well, whole purpose well, no, it's of already, going to it's a already restaurant. Cooked. You're not cooking it. You're, you're heating it. it. You're just yeah. heating it. You're Still, making it hotter. Bring it to me already done. It sounded fun, and it looked fun. It was just... We actually no, enjoyed, we enjoyed it. That. That we enjoyed that. We enjoyed that. Yeah, that's something we've had every time we've gone there. And but they put a it. shrimp on the rock when they brought it, so Pete would not heat anything on the rock after that. Yeah, because it's been spoiled well, by seafood. that's not true, because you, you ate quite a, some seafood while we were out there this time. No, I didn't. I just had that one lobster lollipop. That no, you ate a shrimp somewhere. Lobster lollipop. That was at the Food and Wine. I read about it. Food and Wine it. Festival. So, yeah, um, yeah and I, want, I don't want to spend too much time People on this, because I really do want to get to the Food and Wine Festival, which was the reason that we were out there. And let me just say, so Napa Rose sucks. Steakhouse 55 is wonderful. Storytellers Cafe, if you want, I, I, I'm hesitant to say it's the best buffet Disney has because I haven't done all of Disney's buffets recently. But I can tell you, I'd be hard, you'd be hard-pressed to find better food a la carte, let alone on a buffet. The buffet was good. Spectacular that was, food. That's storytellers, right? The yeah. storytellers. Yeah. And, I mean, and they also do room service. So the room service food is out of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, the night that I did the, uh, night that I did the radio show in Canada, um, we had room service brought up. And the pizzas. Remember those pizzas? Oh, God. These, pers- these personal pizzas. I mean, they're California pizzas. They put all sorts of crap on it. But no, it was, no, but it was really, fantastic. really good. It was good. Um, so Storytellers Cafe, absolutely a big plus to them. So let's talk a little bit uh, or a little bit more about Food and Wine Festival because that really is the reason that we went out. 
I did no research about their food and wine festival before I left. I just kind of wanted to go in, have the experience, see what I thought. Now, of course, I've been to Epcot's food and wine festival a gazillion times. So, you know, in my mind, you know, what, you know, what, when we say food and wine festival, what do you think? You think kiosks, right? Yeah. Lining the park, right? You go from kiosk to kiosk. You have the food, you have the wine. So you know, we had you know plenty of cash in our pockets, and we were all ready for kiosks. And we walk into on the first day of it, we walk into California Adventure and said to a, a cast member, "Where are the kiosks for Food and Wine Festival?" And he looked at us like we had nine heads. <laughs> He's like right next to Splash Mountain. <laughs> yeah, right. So he tried. He, he started trying to explain to us how their food and wine festival worked, but I was still kind of fixated on like no kiosks. You have no food. What, what is this? So I was a little disappointed. I have to be honest. My first reaction was, "Oh no, really? You have to go in with a new mindset. It's yeah. different. It's not better or worse. It's just real different. It's just than entirely Epcot. different than Epcot." And. What they do is they do a lot of – well, first of all, something they do that Epcot does not do is there's a lot of free stuff. Free? If you pay for your admission, you get free stuff. You get free? stuff with your admission, yes. Wine, yes. wine testing, beer testing, uh, cooking classes. Really? A lot of it is included. They have um, – in the Pacific Wharf area is where – it's kind of the hub of their food and wine activity. And they have two demonstration areas set up there. There's a cooking demonstration area. And there's a beer tasting, and well, one, another the other one is used for beer tasting slash cooking demonstrations, and they have chefs from the restaurants there at the Disneyland Resort, and they're also they also bring in celebrity chefs. Uh, this year, they're featuring um, they had Kat Cora, who was uh, the first iron, female Iron Chef, uh, Guy Fieri, uh, who's on Guy's Big Bite, yeah, uh, on funny. the. Uh, Diners uh, on the Food Network. Jamie Gwen, yeah. uh, Jamie Gwen, who's a, a very uh, who's a celebrity chef and, and cookbook author and television host. Uh, Nancy Silverton is the brilliant person behind those that La Brea Bakery, um, and Brett Thompson, who uh, is uh, a managing director for uh, the Patina Group, and he also has a, a restaurant in in Los Angeles called Milk Ice Cream Cafe and Bake Shop. So these were their celebrity chefs, and they would come in. And these are free now, mind you. There's no charge to sit in on these. Oh, the other big thing they changed this year was that in previous years it was only on the weekends. Now it's, now it's every day. That They're doing right. something every day. They're doing about, uh, you know, well, let me see here. They, they were doing like four or five, between four and six events a day from, you know, like uh, – you have a demonstration kitchen like California strawberries, olive oil from the herb garden. And what they're doing is they're preparing dishes using these things. What was really cool is the chef will get up and tell you about what they're making and explain how they're making it and all that good stuff. And then three-quarters of the way through, out come servers. Handing out the dish that he just Handing fixed. out the dish they just made. Wow. And a decent-sized portion, too. Yeah, this was, yeah, it was not chunky. Well, you'll see my picture. It's yeah. Like, it'll be on there. And it was... I was like, what? oh, it was excellent. That's Free stuff? The wine tastings. You, you know, they, they bring in the, um, the it's, you know, when you do the wine tastings here in November or October, that's peak season for uh, the wineries. They're crushing grapes. So you're not getting the winemakers. You're getting the distributors. Yeah. You're getting the salesmen. 
because if they do the, uh, California does theirs in April, they're actually getting the winemakers. So they come in with all this other information, and you very get knowledgeable. They talk three, about yeah. the the different types they have, and then they give you this long history of the winery. It's a lot of good information. And there's three. They they'll do three one ounce uh, glasses of wine. Explain what's going on. You can taste the wine. Um, again, this is free. And as long as you get in line uh, in, in time, I think they limit it to about 65 to 70 I, I people. I ask you how many You people. do need to look and make sure what time it's going to happen because one of the v- events, we were the last people to get in line, and they put up the rope and said this is it. Oh, so wow. we're going to actually play an interview I did with Gary Majetti, who is the food and beverage manager for uh, the uh, Disneyland Parks. And he's one of the creative forces behind this year's Food and Wine Festival. And like I said, this is going to be some excerpts from that. We're going to have the the full interview uh, available um, on the podcast main page, podcast.wdwinfo.com. So here's Gary Majetti. Talking with Gary Majetti, the director of Parks, Food, and Beverage here at Disneyland. Gary, thanks very much for taking time to, uh, to talk to us. Uh, let me just start out by asking you to give us a little background on the history of the uh, Food and Wine Festival here at uh, California Adventure. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to say that we are celebrating our third year. So the headline is this year we are going daily, uh, starting 11, uh, April 11th all the way through Cinco de Mayo. And for the last two years, this festival has happened only on the weekends. Uh, during the same time period, kind of the time period between spring break and our summer peak period, and it's been a grassroots effort to, t- to benchmark some of the best of offerings from Epcot's International Food and Wine Festival, which they're going into, uh, I believe, their 13th year, as well as uh, some of our other theme parks. Tokyo Disney Sea this year actually had their very first food and wine event. And so we've tried to take some of the, uh, the experiences and content that really resonated with the guests in those different theme parks and bring them to California Adventure, where we think is a perfect venue for a food and wine event and uh, showcase the culinary talent of the Disneyland Resort chefs, both inside the theme parks and as our, at our resort hotels, as well as those in downtown Disney. So uh, that, that's been kind of a, a grassroots effort. Now, I, uh, I take it you've had a chance to experience uh, Epcot's Food and Wine Festival. Uh, did you go out to Tokyo Disney Sea for, uh, for that festival? We did. Uh, we had a, a team of uh, the festival producer, uh, Jim Ames, and myself. Uh, was a small team of two, got a chance to experience uh, kind of their take on a food and wine event. The, uh, the, my counterpart there, the, the director of food and beverage, uh, his name is uh, uh, Jean-Marie uh, Clement, and he actually came from Walt Disney World. So uh, he, uh, he had a lot of key learnings and brought uh, many of the festival elements out to, to Tokyo. And one of the things that Tokyo has done differently is they do not have the marketplace kiosks that are very clearly the heart of the festival and Epcot's International Food and Wine Festival, the 26 to 27 different kiosks that ring World Showcase. What they've done is they've taken their existing restaurants, the brick and mortar that's already there, and added festival-inspired menus and menu items at every single one of their restaurants. And we thought that was such a fantastic idea that we've incorporated that into this year's festival. And so you'll see at Award Winners, for example, one of our restaurants that's fam- that's uh, famous for incredible gourmet hot dogs, we've put in a gourmet uh, Portobello uh, Philly, which is basically a marinated 
portobello mushroom julienne with roasted red and green bell peppers in a bun uh, with some uh, mozzarella cheese on the top. And that is now one of the guest favorite menu items that we're featuring during the festival. So to be able to see that at each restaurant, doesn't matter where you go, you will, you're going to feel like you're part of the festival. And there's something new to experience regarding California food and the culinary talent, even at restaurants that um, uh, are open every day. Now, uh, you had mentioned that... Uh you have expanded it this year. It was previous to this. Uh, your, your festival had only been on the weekends. Now it's uh, it's every day. Um, talk to me a little bit about the expansion. Is it, I, I'm assuming from guest feedback and guest participation that uh, you've decided now it's time to kick it up a notch, to quote a famous chef. That's right. The first two years, one of the things that we saw very early on was that each one of our complimentary culinary experiences where one of our resort chefs have a chance to demonstrate a culinary technique or a particular theme. They last about 30 to 35 minutes, and the capacity has been about 60 to 80 guests in each one of the sessions. And for the last two years, we've been basically turning away. It's first come, first seated. We've been turning away almost 100% of our capacity at each one of the complimentary experiences. So we had a couple choices. Either we expand the venue size so that we can accommodate 200 guests, or we increase the frequency. And this year, uh, uh, we wanted to keep the same theme, which our guests have told us uh, consistently that they love the intimate nature of that small setting. So rather than opening it up to having 200 guests at a seminar, we've increased the frequency of the seminars, and we've expanded to weekdays so that guests that are coming Monday through Thursday also have a chance to experience the festival and then demonstrations in that same intimate setting where they actually got a chance to meet the chef from Club 33 or Goofy's Kitchen. Now, uh, one of your, I guess your, your signature event for the festival is called Taste, and that takes place on the 3rd of, uh, the 3rd of May. Uh, tell me a little bit about what's going to be involved there and what guests can expect if they attend. Well, Taste is our festival finale, and it does happen on the final Saturday of the festival. It features resort chefs from uh, uh, downtown Disney, the resort hotels, and Disneyland and Disney's California Adventure. And these chefs are basically oversee the operations of some of our most famous restaurants, Club 33, the Blue, the Blue Bayou, Steakhouse 55, the Napa Rose, Catal Restaurant in downtown Disney, House of Blues, etc. We also have uh, Chef Jamie Gwen, who's a celebrity chef from um, Southern California who does radio and television. And she's actually joining us all four weekends of the festival, but she will be our featured chef at the taste event. And really, it's an opportunity for our guests to experience 14 different food stations where they get a chance to meet the chef. We have all of our chefs basically on the front side of all the food stations and they are finishing the menu item and talking one-on-one with every guest who comes up to explore that that food and we've paired all of those with beers and wines and we have 10 different um, stations as well as a big martini luge outside um, as well Uh, the event is uh, the feature entertainment for the event this year is actually a two-time grammy award-winning jazz guitarist paul brown and so we're very excited to have... It's going to be a little different feel than last year. This past year was the first year we had uh, a festival finale. And that event featured Barrage, uh, which is a high-energy um, type of, of uh, entertainment. Um, uh, and this year it's going to be a little bit more of a cool jazz-type feel. The, the band that we're 
our entertainment team is actually paired with Paul Brown. It, they're all first chairs. Uh, the, the band leader is actually the, the, uh, the head of the band on Dancing with the Stars. So it's going to be incredible entertainment, a lot of activity um, for our guests to experience, and a really cool vibe, we think. Now, what really impressed me was that uh, you not only have a really nice uh, selection of signature events that people can pay to attend. Uh, Walter and I had done uh, uh, one of those events at uh, Steakhouse 55 last Friday. It was just out of this world. But the number of complimentary events that you're doing, the complimentary wine tastings, the complimentary cooking demonstrations that just passed out some delicious food, I might add. Uh, that was a really, really nice touch, something we don't really see in Epcot. What, uh, what, what brought you to that? What brought you to do so many complimentary events throughout the festival? Well, it was really important for us, for our guests to be able to experience the festival in a lot of different ways. So simply purchasing a ticket to the theme park we wanted our guests to have access to our resort chefs, celebrity chefs this year, um, which we're excited to say is a, a difference than last year. All of our celebrity chefs that were part of the festival were all doing hard ticket events only. And our guests told us that, that we'd love to have access to hear the tips from the celebrity chefs that we, we know and love. See, we see them on Food Network. They host numerous cooking shows. They're known and loved the world over. We'd love access to them just by coming into the theme park. And so this year, every one of the celebrity chefs that are participating in the, in the festival are doing complimentary demonstrations. Uh, this weekend, the first weekend, we actually had Kat Cora here. It uh, was very exciting. She did four demonstrations, two on Saturday and two on Sunday, and was incredibly gracious to meet and greet with, with the guests um, after each one of those demonstrations. We have uh, celebrity chef uh, Brett Thompson, who is, used to be the executive chef or the corporate executive chef for the Patina Group. Uh, he owns a, a restaurant called Milk up in Hollywood Hills, which is just a fantastic restaurant uh, to go to. And on the third weekend, uh, we'll be blessed with Nancy Silverton, who is a founder of La Brea Bakery. Uh, she'll be here doing demonstrations for our guests, as well as uh, superstar uh, Guy Fietti, who is actually a big, friend, a big fan of the festival and is a close friend of ours. And he'll actually be doing not only a demonstration for the guests inside the theme park on Saturday, the 26th, he's going to be doing a Celebrity Chef event at the Napa Rose, which unfortunately is already sold out. Uh, and then the, uh, the final weekend, Chef Jamie Gwen, who is actually here all four weekends doing uh, demonstrations as well as our Junior Chef program, which guests, our, our culinary guests ages three to nine get a chance to um, have, a, uh, have a hand in making um, cookies for our guests. So we have an opportunity for guests of all ages to experience the festival and, and spend some time with our celebrity chefs. So that's been a big, a big key. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the junior events. I happened to notice that it was a really a really nice touch uh, to 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 the offerings. Um, now I, I had mentioned that uh, you you're doing complimentary wine tastings. Uh, talk to me about how your wine how, how you're selecting wineries. I'm sure there are many many wineries in California who would absolutely love to be a part of this. How do you go about selecting who uh, who you represent here? Well, the very first year, most of the wineries that were selected were really handshake um, uh, deals with our uh, master sommelier, Michael Jordan. He's our certified wine educator, and, and we're so proud of him. He's the general manager of the Napa Rose and has been a huge fan of, of wine education since, since um, he came on board. And to date, he's educated over 250 level one sommeliers 
here at the resort. It's a huge undertaking, and with that is, is the relationships that he's cultivated with uh, numerous California wineries and wineries all over the world. And um, so basically we called, uh, we asked him to call up wineries the very first year and uh, to come experience the festival and, and provide content for the guests. And the wineries were so excited and had such a fantastic time that for our second year, we didn't have to call anyone. They all called us and said, we really want to be part of the food and wine event at California Adventure again. And this year, uh, we actually had to turn wineries away because we were full uh, with our programming very, very early on. So it's been a, it's been a very, uh, I think one of the, the, the pieces that are key with the winemaker seminars is that we get the actual winemaker, which is fortunate for us because uh, as a comparison, the Epcot Food and Wine Festival, it happens during the fall. And uh, so sometimes, in, in many cases, the winemakers are actually making wine during that time. They're crushing grapes and blending varietals together, so they may not get an opportunity to actually do a lot of traveling and present to the guests, but here we're fortunate that our presenters are the actual winemakers, and that adds an additional level of credibility for our guests that may not have an opportunity to receive that type of presentation from the actual winemaker. Any um, any sense of friendly professional competition with your uh, counterparts out in Epcot? Well, the scope is really different. Um, their, their festival, I think this year, is actually going to expand to a total of 60 days. So uh, they've gone from 30 days to 45 days to I think they're going to go full two months this year. And, uh, you know, we hope to one day, um, you know, have that, have that level of scope. But because it's been grassroots, I think that one of the things that's been very important to us is being able to keep that intimate feel. And we don't want to lose that. So if we can activate the entire theme park so that once you come inside, you feel like you are experiencing the festival no matter where you go, we have an opportunity for guests to experience complimentary events, hard ticket events, and the festival uh, Taste of California marketplace items that uh, feature small tapas appetizer-sized portions, which is really our answer to the kiosks that are around World Showcase. Um, our guests being able to experience that, we think that's a full experience. And and though we we, we want to grow and have more of that type of experience, we probably won't ever get to the size of Epcot's uh, food and wine event uh, simply because it's just uh, we, we, we don't have the space. But we want that full experience, and we think that's going to be very important as we grow. Well, speaking of growth, where do you see this festival in five years? Especially with the announcement that they're going to be uh, putting a $1.1 billion reinvestment into this park. Where do you see this festival going over time? Well, I think that it's great news for us with the level of investment that's happening in California Adventure that we're going to have even more event areas, more places. We're going to have a whole new land um, and, over, and new treatments to help us tell the story of California food and wine um, that, that sinks along with the stories that we're telling inside California Adventure. And I think that that's very important for our guests to understand that as we grow, the feeling of the festival should really align with what's happening inside the theme park and, and to ensure a full park experience, even when construction is taking place. And I think that's going to be important as well over the next five years. Now we're sitting here looking at some uh, wonderful dishes that you've put together for, uh, for this year's event. Um, start out by telling me which one of these is your favorite. 
Well, it, it was tough this year because I thought I had a favorite, and then it turns out that um, I, I love many of them for different reasons. But the, the menu items that you see here are basically appetizer, tapas size portions. They're good for sharing. And most of our guests choose three or four different menu items, and we can pair them with beer or wine at the, the Taste of California Marketplace. My personal favorite, I, I, I'm going to draw a line in the sand here. I'm going to have to say it's the peppercorn encrusted brioche filet mignon slider. So, so say that three times fast. <laughs> and it is so popular. It's definitely become our most popular menu item and, that our, our, our hosts are asking our guests, what would you like with your slider? Because most of the guests are ordering sliders. Just to, Well, I'm going to start off with, uh, exactly, I'm gonna start off with a slider and then let me get uh, some hummus maybe a mushroom risotto. Um, one of the other festival menu items that you see here is the, the white cheddar cheese soup, and it's served in a boudin bread bowl, and it's a small mini bread bowl, so it's the only place you can get that size sourdough um, in the theme parks, and it's very exciting. And that's been with us since the beginning, and if we took it off the menu, we, <laughs> there'd probably be rioting because it's just a fantastic uh, uh, cheddar cheese soup, but we've actually... Infused Carl Strauss Amber Lager in there as well as part of our partnership. And we think we've got something for everyone here in the marketplace. We have vegetarian items. We've got a really fresh traditional hummus that we serve with uh, some ta uh, taste points, crackers, and and uh, uh, vegetables, uh, cucumbers and, and uh, uh, carrots. And that's a, it's a very traditional hummus, not too heavy on any one particular flavor. It has a light garlic, uh, but it's not really a heavy roasted garlic or red pepper hummus, which is very popular now. Uh, very fresh tasting. We have a mushroom risotto that's also uh, vegetarian. We're cooking that in a mushroom stock. And that is finished with a grana padana uh, parmesan cheese, which is kind of the king of all cheeses. And we have uh, our California skewers, which are a, a chicken skewer. And uh, a beef skewer, you get one of each, and they're roasted. They have roasted onions and bell peppers, red and green bell peppers. And the first year we had a, the beef skewers were one item, and chicken skewers were the next. But every one of our guests said, you know what, I'd really like one of each. And so they were making their own combination place. So we thought we'd take that feedback and just turn it into one menu item. So the guests get one of each of those. And we also uh, were featuring a couple desserts that you see in front of you here, the uh, uh, Ghirardelli Chocolate Marquise dessert, which is a, a return from last year. It was so popular to have a nice, decadent chocolate dessert. And the, the difference this year is we've partnered with Ghirardelli to actually get Ghirardelli chocolate in the base. So that's uh, got its own unique Pretty flavor profile. Yeah. It's outstanding. And we have a, our take on a, a traditional uh, English trifle, which is actually bite-sized pound cake pieces. Yeah, uh, that make up the different layers of whipped cream and the and the custard. the custard. Thank you. Uh, and I, I like to tell a little story about the first time I tasted it. It's a fantastic dessert in a, in its own right. But the very first time I tasted the first cutting of it, I was really blown away. And I thought, this is really there's something very special and unique about this. And the chefs kind of grinned and and started nodding their heads and said, Yeah, well, we kind of topped it with cherry liqueur, <laughs> so which uh, a fantastic flavor profile. But uh, we actually had to take the cherry liqueur off. But really uh, fresh flavors and and. Uh, the only thing, actually, I went to dessert too too early. One of the things that we're also featuring here is a lobster lollipop, which is a really fun take on on a kind of finger food. We've taken a, a lobster, uh, actual lobster, and then actually uh, breaded it with panko breadcrumbs, and it's served with a 
a red pepper roumelade sauce, which is very flavor, uh, flavorful, and that's been very popular as well. Now, you're talking to someone who never eats seafood. I mean, really, I'm, like, violently opposed to seafood. I loved the lobster lollipop. I tried it yesterday. And you really shocked me with the white cheddar cheese soup because I'm a huge fan of the uh, the cheese soup from Le Cellier, which is world famous, especially among Disney fans. And this blows it out of the water. Um, you also, I, I see that you, you, you really went... Uh, you really went full full hog on uh, no pun intended on uh, on presentation, uh, the way you put everything together, how how everything is presented. Like you said, it's not uh, not done in paper cups. Uh, you've really um, you, you've really taken that to another level. Something we don't see too much out at Epcot. I don't want to keep making too many mm-hmm. comparisons uh, back to Epcot, but really, I, I got to tell you, we have tried. We we've been through the park the last four days, and we made a point of trying everything that you're offering. Did not find one thing we did not like. I have to be honest, we did not find one food item that we did not like. But I want to thank you, Gary, for taking the time to sit and chat with us. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about uh, the Food and Wine Festival? Well, just that main message, it's happening every day from now all the way through Monday Cinco de Mayo. And, uh, you know, it's a really great way to experience the flavors of California and showcase our culinary talent, which has done so much to make sure that our guests experience unique flavors. And there's so much ownership that I think it comes out in the way that our chefs are presenting the food, whether they're presenting it at one of our quick service restaurants or whether they're presenting a cooking method on stage, that the level of passion really comes through in, in so much of what the team has done, and we're, we're very proud of them. And just remind everybody, you can get more information about Disney's uh, California Food and Wine Festival on their website, Disneyland.com forward slash food and wine. And you can also sign up for many of this, all of the signature events there. Gary, again, thank you very much for taking time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. What did you guys think of his? Uh... I think he has an incredible voice. He could. He has a voice for radio, huh? No, yeah. He's got a face for TV, too, let me tell you. One thing I noticed is that they um, out there, they definitely have a passion for the food they're preparing and how they prepare it. And what they're serving. They is, have a passion for everything out there. It's, uh, you notice it with any of them that you deal with in any aspect of the business. They're very passionate about what they're doing. I'm not saying they're not passionate out here. I'm talking about like the food items that they're, they're serving up, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, from the presentation to the, the thought that went into serving it. Yeah, um, there, there's a lot of – it's a very thoughtful event. It's a very thoughtful, intimate event. On, you know, and I'm, again, I, I really don't like to, to keep doing the comparisons – to Epcot, but it's almost unavoidable. Now, you said there's no kiosk, so what is there, one central place? Well, yeah, there's, um, when you go into Pacific Wharf, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of fast food restaurants in there, and they had three registers set up on one side, and you go up to the register, order what you want, take the receipt, go to the window, and they give you your items. So the lucky uh, fortune cookie area is what they... You know, oh, is that is. what it is? Yeah. And, you see, I... And I like the fact that they did, uh, you know, as Gary was saying, they, they introduced additional food and wine-inspired menu items into some of their restaurant locations around the park. But one of, my, one of my complaints with the event was that they should have done more. Uh, I would have liked to have seen multiple choices. What they did, they just had like one item 
at uh, you know at, at at the pizza place in Paradise Pier. They had a a shrimp salad at the uh, one of the hot dog at the corn dog place in Paradise Pier. They had the cheddar cheese and chili infused corn dog, which was sounds disgusting, but was absolutely delicious. Mm. And then the Portobello Philly over at Award Wieners in the Hollywood back lot. And so, I mean, those were nice items, but that was it. I would have liked to have seen multiple items in more locations. And if you can't do the kiosks, then that's, I mean, that's a way around it. And, and still continue to do the festival marketplace where we got the chicken skewers and the, all the other good stuff, the lobster lollipops and the bread bowl and all that good stuff. Because uh, let me tell you, that cheddar cheese bread bowl was on. You showed us pictures of it. It looked really good. Oh. Was that Everything a big did. portion? Because it said a, a mini it, You know, he, they, they, they say it's a mini portion, but I got to tell you, you know, uh, that and the peppercorn slider was a full lunch. That's a, yeah, it would be a full meal. Like it was a full you, lunch. If you made a fist, is it... As bigger. Big as, it's bigger, bigger than, than that? Oh, absolutely. A double? It was like a, a hamburger. I mean, the size of like what a hamburger would be. Yeah. About I, the size of a softball, I would say. No, I think it was bigger than that. Really? Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, compared to what they... they yeah, no, it's what, definitely not the little no, Dixie it's, cup. It's a decent The size. half a Dixie yeah. cup we get uh, uh, out here. Yeah. And again, you're talking five, $5 for that. I know. I mean, that's a, that's a great value. The prices are... See, that stuff is like... Yeah, the stuff at the Festival Marketplace, that's running about 4 or $5 per item and again those are quote unquote appetizer portions the stuff that they have at the restaurant locations around the park are fuller portions a little bit more expensive 629 679 uh, depending on what you're getting and you you couple that with the complimentary demonstrations the food demonstrations we have some pictures of like the one demonstration area John saw it and he couldn't believe they had bottles of water out for everybody Disney giving out free water. It's like is giving out free water coming? and free food. Yeah, you know <laughs> what happens. Uh, I don't know how to frame this question, but and again, never having been to this event, when you go to Epcot, this is unavoidable. You can't miss that this is going on. I mean, it's crowded, and those kiosks are everywhere. Yeah. From what you're describing, could you go through this park and not know that it was there? Um, other than the banners that are up, yes. Yes, yes, you could. Yes. And again, I think that is... Well, I mean, again, it's only in its third year. Uh, I'm hoping that... Because this was very good. I, I will say I give this... I give their Food and Wine Festival huge marks. I will be going back every year for this. Wow. Um, I will be going back every year for this. This was good. We had a good time. The food was superb. It was incredible. Mm. And we kept going back. We kept... Looking for excuses, you know. We, I, you know, I know I should have been eating lunch at some different places, and trying them out and reviewing them. But we just, ha- I had to keep going back for that, that that cheese soup and that slider. It was just, it was too good for words. Was this a crowded event? Um, no, not at all, not at all. Especially during the week. Again, uh, traffic patterns at these parks. Well, first of all, California Adventure is never that crowded. Right. It's not like Disneyland or uh, Magic Kingdom. But, you know, on like Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, the, um, the Pacific Wharf area, it could be a little difficult to find a seat. Uh, but we never waited in any kind of lines to get our food. See, again, I can only compare it to the one I've been to. 
And when you go to the Epcot Food and Wine Festival, any of the more popular kiosks, you've got a 10-minute wait. No, there was no such experience there. None. No, it was pretty quick everywhere we went. Yeah, and the food was really good. I'm, not, I'm, I'm a fairly picky eater. I'm not very adventuresome. I loved everything they had. The only thing we didn't try was the Portobello. Philly. I don't eat peppers. Pete doesn't eat mushrooms, so we didn't try that. But outside of that, everything else was excellent. Yeah. It sounded good. It really, it really is a great event. The signature events, um, you know, he was talking about taste, which sounds, I wish I'd been out there for that. Um, that that's, uh, it's uh, May 3rd. It's $125 a person. That's not bad. But you've got, no, it's not. This is what all, all the signature events, I think, were, uh, well, they do a signature dinner event every, I think it's Friday and Saturday nights at Steakhouse 55. Um, yes, Friday and Saturday evenings. Nope, sorry, that's the wrong one. Yeah, it's the winemaker dinners on Friday evenings through the event, uh, April eleventh, okay. eighteenth, twenty fifth, and May second. Goes from six thirty to nine. It's at Steakhouse Fifty Five. That's one hundred and twenty five dollars per person. And I got to tell you, food was, was amazing. It was absolutely worth it. That's uh, Chef. That's uh, Chef Jason uh, mm. putting that together. This guy's going places. The Chef Jason. This is he has this great personality. Just I could absolutely see this guy on television. I could absolutely see this guy as a celebrity chef. Um they also do these festival wine receptions Friday and Saturday evenings from 7:30 to 9. It's $55 a person. It's hors d'oeuvres and uh, wine wine samples and uh what's good about that is you actually get a pretty good view. Uh, this is in California Adventure. It's in, in the lower patio of the Golden Vine Winery. You get a pretty good view of uh, the Electric Light Parade. Hmm. I'm sorry. The um, Well, I, I keep calling it the Main Street Electrical Parade, but it's not on Main Street anymore, so it's Disney's Electrical Parade, which is now going through California Adventure. And then they had... Uh, $55 isn't $55 bad, wasn't too bad, no. The, none, none of this is unreasonably priced, I've got to no, be honest. I, absolutely. There was quite a bit of appetizers you could choose from. And you know, like the different wine vendors were there, so you, you get your money's worth. Yeah. And uh, you, know, you might think $125 a plate for dinner is expensive. Let me tell you, the dinner they serve... Was incredible. Was absolutely incredible. It was an absolutely incredible dinner. And then they did the uh, Napa Rose Cooking School, which apparently sold out almost immediately, where you can actually go and spend... Uh, you know, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., and they, it looks like they had four, four, uh, four of these events, four hundred dollars a person. Sold out, wow. and they sold them. They sold it all out. That must have been incredible food. It must have been. That's how they made up for the free water. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so I mean, they do a lot. They have a lot of the complimentary events going on. They have a lot of the signature events going on, and. So you really can, I mean, you, you, can, you can immerse yourself in it as much as you want. But to answer your question, Kevin, no, it's not something that is, like, overwhelming the park. As a matter of fact, that's why I think they could stand to expand it. Uh, that would be my only complaint about it, is that they really, I think this is just, this is a great concept. It's great execution. It's great food. Do more. Do more of yeah. it. Put it in more locations. Use, you know, I think every single... Fast food location in the park should have multiple food and wine inspired items on it for the event. Well, I guess that was part of that. That was kind of the th- the thread I was going for. Uh, with the amount of places that Epcot has, and the amount of 
just different things you can try. You, you, you were talking about the presentation of this. It sounds like on a much smaller scale, is. this is much easier to maintain that level of that presentation. Could, could be a point. <clears throat> that could be a point in that Epcot may have gotten too big. And that's why the portions are smaller and the food's not as good. and The prices go the up. The prices go up. And the you, lines are long. Right. Maybe if they tried to make it a little bit more California-like and just concentrate on signature items, it might be better. Yeah, oh. I'd like to pay, you know, for the size portions I saw, I'd rather pay the extra dollar at that point, right? And, and get a, a. Well, I got I to gotta tell the you this. Chowder those, in, the, in the bowl of soup. Those I mean, appetizer size portions were running between 4 and $5, 4 and $6, which is what you're paying at Food and Wine for the food there, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's, that, I mean, last year, that's, that was the price point yeah. for the food. It was about 4 to $6 for one of the plates. And I'm telling you, you're not getting nearly as much food for that 4 to $6 at Epcot as you are at, at the California Food and Wine Festival. I, I agree with you. I and thought the, the Food and fi- Wine Festival last year was a bit of a ripoff, last yeah. year, the one here. Well, it's what happened. Yeah, it's, unfortunately, that's what they do out here is they, they, they build them up so much and they get them so big to the point where it's but, uh, a ripoff. The one in Epcot, they do do the cooking demonstrations and they, they pass out the free food uh, down, in, down here, too. They do do that. So uh, over in, I don't think they do it as frequently. I've Odyssey. never gotten free food, and I've Od- been for a I've, long time. I've gone to the cooking demonstrations in Odyssey, the Odyssey building there, and I mean they had they had whole racks of food that they'd bring out to the people that of what they were cooking. So it, that is happening down here too. You just have to attend, it, yeah. right? Well, and, like I'm saying though, they they're doing they're doing six of these six or seven of these a day, six or seven of these demonstrations a day. Um, and you know, it's I have last year's food and wine at home. I'll have to look and see how often they they were doing them. But they they were doing them on a consistent basis over there in Odyssey. And now with them taking over the other building, that gives them a whole other area that they can have, you know, the stage show for the cooks and everything. So that opens it up a little even right. more. So I think you guys haven't gone to the California Food and Wine Festival, that this year when you go to the Epcot International one, I think you're going to be slightly disappointed. I, I think, think so, I too. Well, yeah. I agree. I, it really, like I said, you know, I was a little disappointed initially because I was expecting kiosks. And, but once I, got, once I got it out of my head that this isn't Epcot, yeah. this is something entirely different, a much more intimate, much more, I, I got to tell you, value for dollar. I absolutely. I'd rather fly to California and do theirs. Disney, bring the lollipop, uh, lobster lollipop out here. So I, it was really nice. You got something for the price of admission. You didn't yeah. have to go and then pay for everything you got. Do you remember that lobster roll they had at the American Pavilion? That was a ripoff. It was eight dollars or was nine dollars. But what I saw, Peter, the picture Peter had, that looked like it was decent. I mean, the lobster roll in in America was a ripoff. Yeah. It's and like Walter said, you know, it's a lot of st- you, you. You're really getting an extra bang for the price of admission. Yeah, and uh, it, it, to me, it sounds like they're trying harder. They are. Well, that's because uh, if, if you don't have the crowd, if you haven't got the mob who's lining up to pay for it, you get to try a little bit harder and do a little bit of better job. It also seems like it's someone thought it through when you said, "Okay, I was looking for the kiosks, trying to." prepare or keep food warm in one of those kiosks is going to inherently reduce their flavor 
yeah. in their um, quality. That's mm-hmm. always been the issue of them keeping the food uh, hot is they've had to upgrade some of those kiosks for the uh, how they're storing the food. There's also a difference if you have a chef on hand as opposed to a server. Mm-hmm. If someone's, you know, if you're responsible for the recipe and making the food and presenting it, that's different than an hourly yeah, employee wearing rubber gloves yeah. who's handing it to you while you take your four bucks, you know? I mean... Now, this is an annual event. This goes on now every year at uh, at California Adventure, and I really can't think of a better time of year to time if you want to go out to Disneyland. I can't think of a better time of year to time your trip. Mm. Uh, it, the weather was, I, I said, we had a little unseasonably warm there for a while. When we first got there, it was very cold. Well, yeah, Walter was, Walter was the weather maven every 15 minutes. Damn, it's cold. Oh, it's cold. Oh, it's cold out here. Oh, boy, is it cold to you? I'm really cold. And then, you know, it starts warming up. Oh, God, it's hot. Oh, I'm hot. Oh, I think I got almost I liked it better when it was, time. I liked was, it better yeah. when it was cold. I'm My like, mother oh. was watching the, the weather for you, and at one point she called us and said, do you realize it's 102 in Anaheim? So, uh, Well, there was one, Walter, uh, the, the one night we had dinner at, uh, uh, at uh, Napa Rose, went outside to have a cigarette. And now, mind you, it's like 8 o'clock, 8.30 at night. And Walter's like, it's like standing under a heat lamp. Yeah. It was and that hot. Yeah. It really was. And it did feel like you were standing under a heat lamp. I find when I'm out in California, I have to drink a lot more water out there. So, all, it's just it's very dry. Dry, so, dry. Very dry. Low humidity. So if you guys are going to, if anybody's going to be in California or if you're out in California and are not planning to go to Food and Wine Festival, go. Go. Run, don't walk. It absolutely is worth it. It's worth making a special trip. If you can't make it this year, um, really plan on it next year. Maybe we'll even do a do some kind of thing out there. Woo-hoo. Maybe we should maybe we should do some kind of uh, field trip, year long giveaway, oh. a year long a year long contest, and we'll send we'll send a family out there for a food and wine festival. Oh, I thought you were talking about us. <laughs> yeah, really, that's disappointing. <laughs> We'd, We'd have to go with them, wouldn't we? <laughs> they wouldn't know what to do without us there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Someone has to make some money. Go experience, go experience the food and wine festival with with us, with the team. Road trip may not be all of us because it's going to be uh, four. It would be like four weeks before the podcast. Bob, I'm not driving to California. You can. (laughs) (laughs) Not driving. You said road trip. That means drive. (laughs) But maybe if enough of you write in and say yes, John, we really, really want you to do something like that. I've changed my email address. (laughs) (laughs) It's P exactly. But uh, no, it was absolutely it was absolutely a blast. It was uh, one of the highlights of the trip, um, and I highly recommend the Food and Wine Festival. Well, we do have a lot more to talk about uh, about our trip, but we I've decided that rather than make this a three and a half hour podcast, uh, we're going to break it up into two parts. So part two of our trip will be next week. We're going to talk about uh, the parks. We're going to talk about the parades, in particular the new Pixar Play Parade, which now ranks as my favorite Disney parade ever. Mm. Uh, we will have video of that on the site, though, before we do part two. And, uh, of course, the Main Street Electrical Parade, which is now Disney's Electrical Parade because it's not on Main Street anymore. Uh, we'll have video of that up. we got a bunch of video. But uh, next week, really look forward to uh, our discussion on Wild Animal Park. Uh, it's part of the San Diego Zoo. Uh, one of our listeners, Jeff Peterson, had invited us to come down while we were out there and see it. Of course, Walter was all tingly about the idea. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'll go check it out. You know, me, you know me and nature. 
I got to tell you, was the highlight of our trip. Wow. For me. And for me to say that, for me to say that about, and it's not because a listener brought us down there or anything like that, this was the most unique experience I've ever had in any kind of quote-unquote park, especially after coming from Animal Kingdom, which is, by their own admission, not a zoo. This was a zoo done in a way I, have, I could never imagine a zoo being done. I had such a tremendous time there, I cannot wait to go back. And the fact that the cost of admission is less than thirty dollars, mm. it was it, it was because the natural beauty of the. I don't want to get too much into it, but I, I can't help talking about it. The natural beauty of this park. It's located in San Diego. It's a little bit off the beaten path. It took a little bit to get to. I got to be honest, but it was well worth what it took getting there. Thank God we had GPS in that car. We, we got we lost, but we um, it's it's actually in a valley. Surrounded by the hills in San Diego, which actually block that sea breeze. So it's a warm park, but it's done that way intentionally because of the animals. It's a lot of, you know, African animals in, in, in the park. Lions and tigers and, and bears, oh my. And so it does get a little warm, but when I tell you gorgeous, wait till you see this video. Wait till you see this video. Tremendous experience. Uh, the knowledge of the staff there. Well, again, and the staff, passion, the passion of the staff, uh, the, but the knowledge in particular, I think, because of their association with the San Diego Zoo, which is the preeminent zoo in the world, I believe. If it's not, it's certainly in the in the top three. And so, there's a lot of knowledge and just a tremendous amount of information. And what I really noticed was the k- kids that were there were going out of their minds. I, I just kind of field trips there. Yeah, well, really? oh, school yeah. trips. Yeah. yeah, a lot of school trips, but there were also a lot of families. There were also mm-hmm. a lot of families there with kids, and you know, you think you know, kids being you know, especially when they're an hour away from Disneyland, kids being dragged through a zoo. It'd be like, oh my god, oh these kids were out of their minds. The just the the lion the lion exhibit was amazing. How close, you, it, how seemingly close, you get to these these animals. And the gorilla exhibit was, again, they're not behind glass. Not like Animal Kingdom where they're behind glass. There's these, it's all right out there. And really? the trainer's up there. The trainer's up there explaining everything. Oh, I don't want to get into it because it's a whole okay. segment, but it was awesome. So that's going to be next week. And uh, so that'll do it. That'll do it for our special, uh, part one of our special Disneyland edition. We hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back with you again next Tuesday, God willing, with another edition of the Diz Unplugged Roundtable. Thanks for listening, everybody.